So good evening. I am now a citizen of Nebraska, so it's a pleasure to welcome you to my new state this evening. <laughs> There's a great confrontation scene in the movie Pretty Woman, where Tess McGill has to explain how she came up with the Trask Industries merger, for which her evil boss is trying to take credit. She sifts through scraps of paper, newspaper clippings, and tabloid pages to reconstruct her thinking. And I had a similar out-of-body experience in preparing to talk to you today um, in terms of why I am so passionate about citizen archivists. As you just heard from Ken's much too generous introduction, I've been in the research library business connecting users with information longer than many of you in this room have been alive. Let me just verify that. I wrote this before I saw you. <laughs> but it is probably true. And in that time, I've learned so much from my users, undergraduates, graduate students, faculty researchers, administrators, and the general public. The great joy of working in public service is getting involved in the research process, learning from the researcher about his or her topic and discipline and providing the researcher not only with the information they need, but more importantly, with the tools they need to be self-sufficient in their research and personal lives. And for me, the greatest joy has been what I have learned from those researchers about their discoveries in the collections. The dirty little secret of the great research libraries of the world is that we are all in need of better information about our holdings. Everyone has a backlog. Until recently, we didn't talk about them. Now we celebrate our hidden collections. <laughs> everyone has unprocessed collections, and everyone would die for item-level control, and everyone is heavily dependent upon those researchers to help us understand what we have, for it is in the use of these collections that we learn so much more about the depth and reach, richness of our own material. So across the world, researchers are making wonderful use of collections, publishing articles and books, and leaving our libraries with intellectual capital that would be useful for the library to have to better describe those collections for access by other users. In my own career, I can point to examples of this engagement with researchers and what I've learned from them. At MIT, the birthplace of material science and engineering, an archaeologist was trying to prove that the oil and oil paint made its way to Renaissance Italy by way of the spice trade route in the late 15th century. He was analyzing scrapings from a Titian painting hanging in Florence and started thinking about when and how oil was added to pigment and how it got there. At Duke, where a wonderful rare book and manuscript collection was assembled at a time when others couldn't afford to buy the Great Depression, a graduate student was using one of these collections, the John Emery Bryant papers, in, the Civil War research, in a Civil War research project, and discovered a trove of letters between Bryant and his wife, Emma, concerning her gynecological problems and examinations, letters which shed light on women's medical treatment during the 19th century. And at the New York Public Library, biographer T.J. Stiles mined the papers of the New York Central and Hudson Railroad, River Railroad, a collection which had never been fully described or used in his Pulitzer Prize winning book on Cornelius Vanderbilt, the first tycoon. 
and detail-oriented TJ left behind an incredible item-level inventory of that collection. And at the National Archives, a book being published in September tells the fascinating story of bootleggers off the coast of New York during the Prohibition, a story told from the deck logs of U.S. Coast Guard vessels in our holdings. These are just four examples from the many hundreds in my own career which convinced me that we learn so much more about our collections every time a researcher makes use of them and that we need to find, out a, way, find a way to take advantage of that intelligence. Add to those experiences the shift from intermediated searching to user-driven searching. Yes, for those of you who never lived through this, there was a time when users weren't allowed to touch the keyboard. Um, they weren't allowed to do their own searching. They had to do it through us. The publication of the wisdom of crowds, the Wikipedia phenomenon, the whole social media evolution and revolution, and you sent, get a sense of what is in my Tess McGill folder, providing context to my own conviction that we learn a lot, that we have a lot to learn from our users. I was wooed away from a cushy job at the New York Public Library by a good salesman from the Obama transition team who carried a message that the new administration was convinced that the National Archives could and should play an important role in its open government initiative. In articulating his commitment to transparency, collaboration, and participation in his administration, President Obama said to his senior staff on his first day in office, our commitment to openness means more than simply informing the American people about how decisions are made. It means recognizing the government does not have all the answers and the public officials need to draw on what citizens know. And, that, and that's why, as of today, I'm directing members of my, my administration to find new ways of tapping the knowledge and expertise of ordinary Americans. Tapping the knowledge and expertise of ordinary Americans. I've taken that message very seriously, and, and as I have assumed my new responsibilities, engaged my staff in fulfilling that mandate. By way of context, let me just add a little to what Ken just described to you about the, the National Archives and Records Administration. We were created by Franklin Roosevelt in 1934. We're an independent agency of the executive, of the executive branch of government. We are not part of the Library of Congress or the Smithsonian. The number one question I get, are you part of the Library of Congress or the Smithsonian? No, we're an independent agency. We're responsible for the records of the government, 275 federal agencies and, and departments, the records of the White House and the Supreme Court, and we provide courtesy storage for the records of Congress. We are 3,300 strong in 44 facilities across the country from Anchorage, Alaska to Atlanta, Georgia, including 13 presidential libraries from Herbert Hoover to George W. Bush. 80 million civilian personnel and military service records in St. Louis. Our records start with the Oaths of Allegiance signed at Valley Forge by George Washington and his troops and go all the way up to the tweets that are being created as I am speaking at the White House. It's a collection of 12 billion pieces of paper and parchment and that 12 billion pieces of paper, 1.5 million trees, if you laid those pieces of paper end-to-end, end, they would circle the globe 84 times. 40 million photographs and miles and miles of film and video and the largest, fastest growing part of the collection of electronic records. We started collecting 
email during the Reagan administration and between Reagan and Bush 41, we have 2.5 million email messages. Clinton, 40, 20 million email messages, and Bush 43, 210 million email messages. And because we hold the records, we have some additional responsibilities. Established by Congress, our Information Security Oversight Office oversees the security classification systems in both government and industry. It may shock you to, hear, to learn that there are more than 2,500 different classification guides in operation in the government. That's down from 9,700 about seven years ago. I, the Public Information Declassification Board, which advises ISU, has recently presented a report to the President with 14 recommendations to improve the current classification system. Also established by Congress, the Office of Government Information Services, OGIS, serves as the Freedom of Information Act Ombudsman, which provides mediation services to resolve disputes between individuals and, and agencies in the FOIA request negotiation. And finally, the National Declassification Center, established by the President at the end of 2009, with the mandate to review 400 million pages of classified content going back to World War I. So that's who we are and what we do. So let me provide now a glimpse of some of the things we're trying to do to engage the American public. How many of you have ever used the Federal Register or ever heard of it? It's been called the nation's, um, the government's newspaper, and this is what it looks like in paper form. And in collaboration with, we, we publish it, the National Archives publishes the Federal Register in collaboration with the government printing office. It provides notices of public meetings, legislative hearing grants and funding opportunities and announcements of public interest. And it also pr publishes proposed regulations and provides information about how to make comments on those proposed regulations. On its 75th anniversary in July 2010, we launched Federal Register 2.0, exploiting social media tools to better connect the American public with their government. It's highly graphic, clean and crisp. Um, it's arranged in topical select sections to meet user interest and demand, uh, topics like money, environment, science, and technology. The most important feature of the uh, Federal Register 2.0 is the ability to immediately comment on proposed legislation. And that green button is, a, um, is a, an opportunity for you to click and respond to provide your reactions to proposed legislation. I told you about the National Declassification Center. When we were setting it up, we wanted to engage the public in, in letting us know which classified records were of most interest to them so we could establish priorities. We provided online opportunities and two public meetings in Washington, which I hosted. And if you go to the NDC, National Declassification site, you'll find a list of those priorities uh, um, upon, based mostly upon what we heard. The two meetings were eerily similar, split between those who were interested in the Kennedy assassination conspiracy and those interested in UFOs. <laughs> and I'm so pleased to tell you that within the last couple of months, we were able to deliver on at least one of these, uh, Air Force Project 1974. 
in the early 50s, our, the United States Air Force spent $10 million to actually build a flying saucer. And a very secret project um, whose records we just released. It um, rose up off the ground four feet and crashed. <laughs> so, and, and it was, it was <laughs> built by a Canadian firm. So if any of my Canadian <laughs> friends are here, <laughs> Because we have things like census records, immigration records, ship passenger lists, and pension files, genealogists, um, as you might expect, comprise one of our largest user groups. Since, 19, since 2007, a group of volunteers has been working on the Civil War uh, Widow's Pension Certificate Digitization Project. Volunteers are responsible for prepping the pension records for scanning, gauging for preservation needs, removing fasteners and tape, and that kind of thing by our commercial partner, Fold3. To date, 4.2 million images have been produced, and e many of these records contain surprises. Tintypes of deceased soldiers and their families, and an interesting enclosure in one of the pension files. Moles, a mole. Um, the, the widow... <laughs> Um, applied for a pension but had no marriage certificate and the only thing she had that could demonstrate that her husband had actually served was this mole that he captured in his tent and sent her. <laughs> and she sent it as documentation with her pension file. And you know, once you send anything to the government, we keep it. Similar work is being done in collaboration, in collaboration with the National Park Service Family Search Fold 3 and the University of Nebraska to digitize homestead land office records. Volunteers from the Mormon Church are preparing records for digitization. We started with Nebraska because of the Homestead National Monument here, and to date 67,000 files have been digitized producing more than 1.5 million images searched, searchable by land office homesteader's name and the township on Fold 3 and the National Archives site. This is a photo of developments on homesteader Oscar Gilbert's property um, processed by the North Platte New, uh, Nebraska Land Office. Photo of Benjamin Shedd, a homesteader in North Platte, and a homestead final certificate, this one for William Merriam in Dakota City. And I'm very pleased, I just learned this, I'm very pleased that University of Nebraska students are creating additional metadata for these files to further our understanding of the records. I mentioned the administration's open government focus. The open government directive requires every agency to create an open government plan and the flagship of my agency's plan is the Citizen Archivist Initiative, envisioned to encourage substantive contributions like social metadata tags, transcripts, and digital images to improve access to our records. Every day in 44 research rooms across the country, individuals are capturing information from the records of our government that are held in trust by the National Archives. These users are scanning, writing books, conducting genealogy research, and learning more about our records than we do and the initiative is our first digital attempt to harness this knowledge. The initiative is an adaptation of the long-standing tradition of crowdsourcing in science. Citizen science projects engage amateurs and non-professionals in scientific research 
like bird sightings and categorizing galaxies. And we're using digital technology to engage recreational archivists. Our citizen archivist dashboard, which is on archives.gov, will give you a sense of the range of opportunities we're providing for that engagement. You can tag it. Oop. I guess I, yeah, you can tag it. Is a call to action for tagging. The addition of small keywords improves search results and increases access to records. This type of social metadata can be fun in an easy way for contributors that cumulatively can make a big impact. To encourage the, pro the public to tag, we've developed tagging missions that take users through our online catalog to tag particular topics like World War I posters, photos of the Civil Rights March in Washington, D.C., and EPA photographs from the 1970s. Users have added more than a thousand tag, ten, a hundred thousand tags, sorry, a hundred thousand tags to our images on Flickr, and we have incorporated more than 10,000 into our catalog. A large portion of the 12 billion records in our holdings are in cursive, and cursive has disappeared from the K through 12 curriculum. So we have a growing audience who can't read our records. In response, we have developed a transcription pilot on, um, on Drupal, where we have loaded records to be transcribed. Our first 1,000 pages were transcribed within two weeks. And that's uh, an example of one of the records and the transcription. As part of our Citizen Archivist Initiative, we recruited a Wikipedian in residence to work with us on, a, on uh, projects and fostering a collaboration with the Wikipedian community. We've held scanathons. One of my favorites was with uh, State Department staff scanning State Department photographs, and events for Wikipedians in Washington at our regional facilities and uh, at our presidential libraries. We've uploaded more than 100,000 images of National Archives records into Wikipedia Commons, and we have several projects for Wikipedians to incorporate these images into Wikipedia articles. In one month alone, the numbers of estimated views of Wikipedia articles with our content is estimated at more than 100 million. We're encouraging the public to upload photos of their own documents, working to expand this feature to include web uploads and mobile scanning. Researchers have all already approached us and are interested in donating thousands of images of records and met metadata and our challenge to make it simple. A terrific partnership with the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration is focused on the digitization of ship logs from the Navy, Coast Guard, and revenue cutters from pre-Civil War period through World War II. These records are being featured on old weather, which is encouraging people to transcribe weather information in the logs so that scientists can analyze weather observations made by United States ships. And this is a fantastic project because the NOAA is interested in the left-hand side of the, of the logs, the weather conditions, and we're interested in what was going on on the ship. And this is a, an example from um, the U.S. Revenue Cutter Bear in 1897, who was um, saved in the process of saving the lives of 245 whalers trapped in the Arctic Ocean by ice. In April of 2012, we released the 1940 census, the first digital release. 
and we partnered with FamilySearch on a community indexing project using their indexing software. Working state by state, more than 170,000 volunteers created the name index, 132 million names in just five months. And I'm particularly proud of the fact that we're one of 20 federal agencies participating in the National Day of Civil Hacking, expanding our reach beyond traditional researchers and engaging the community of citizen developers. We've made available more historical data sets for bulk downloads in our catalog and on data.gov. We've developed several challenges around data sets, including mapping and visualizations of historical data related to World War II, the Korean War, and the Vietnam War. This data originated in federal agencies and we collected in punch card computer systems, and we've provided search access to these data sets, primarily for de genealogical research, and now we'd like to expand this to include visualization and ways to provide access to aggregate data. And we have a challenge we hope the developer community will be interested in, a mobile app called Pocket Archivist, making it easy for researchers to take images of records and record and record institutional-related metadata and upload the images so they can be incorporated into our online catalog. I would be remiss in this setting if I didn't single out one of my own favorite citizen archivists. I've been fortunate to work in, in institutions with significant Walt Whitman collections. Even MIT had a copy of Leaves of Grass. At both Duke and the New York Public Library, I was pleased to be able to contribute to the work that Ken Price and the Walt Whitman Digital Archive are doing. Ken's experience captures the essence of what the Citizen Archivist Program, a researcher who shares his discoveries so that we're learning so much more about our own holdings. Knowing that Walt Whitman served as a clerk in the Bureau of Indian Affairs during the Civil War and later in the Attorney General's office, I first thing I wanted to see when I became the archivist and discovered I was responsible for uh, the records of anyone who ever worked for the government, I asked to see Walt Whitman's personnel record. And as Ken alluded, this is a wonderful photograph, Matthew Brady photograph in our collection, one of the 40 million photographs we have. I asked to see um, his personnel file and in it a four-page letter of recommendation for another job in the government written by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Ken's most recent work uh, has been going through, uh, Whitman transferred to the Attorney General's office after the Civil War and Ken has been laboriously going through the records of the Attorney General during that period and has discovered some 3,000 documents in Whitman's hand, a trove of new information about Whitman's life and the opportunity for scholars to mine this new information to discover influences on his later work. And this is uh, an example, another wonderful photograph. And this is an example of one of those records from the Attorney General's um, files with a note in the, this is in Whitman's hand and a note in the margin in Whitman's hand saying, that this letter was never actually sent. As you can see, from our traditional users to new communities of technical developers, we're reaching out to the public, tapping the knowledge and expertise of ordinary Americans to help us with our most mission-critical efforts, providing access to the permanent records of government. I do indeed hear America singing, the very carols I hear, and what beautiful music we are all making together. Thank you very much.
And we have some time for questions, if anyone wants to ask a question about anything I've said or anything I haven't said. <laughs> 